Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam. Uh, this is episode number six. On today's episode, we're going to be getting into an album by the late great organist Joey DeFrancesco entitled In the Key of the Universe, an album that was released recently in 2019. So without further ado, Max, how are you doing today? Are you looking forward to getting into this album? Hey, Dwayne, I'm doing well. I am really looking forward to getting into this album in the key of the universe it's got some great not only great but phenomenal players on it joey DeFrancesco, um the great troy roberts tenor player who i i really like and admire um and there's a lot to talk about there's there's some great moments in this album um but first as we've been doing i have a jazz question of the week for you normally it's been you giving a question to me or we've been doing a listener audience question so if you're listening you have a question for us music related or anything having to do with the albums we've been going over maybe you disagree with us on on a certain point or maybe you have a a a recommendation for an album for us to review we'd love to hear about it email us at the jazz jam podcast at gmail.com we'd love to do a listener question um, to start off an episode um, but in lieu of that, um, sometimes we'll do a jazz question of the week to one another. So this one is from me to you because you're a keys player and we're doing a, a Joey D album. I wanted to ask you, what is the difference when playing the Hammond B3 organ or the organ in general versus playing on the piano or the keyboard? And does it feel different? And what do you have to account for when you're playing the B3 organ? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I'm honored to be the uh, the ASCII of the question this week, so thanks. Um, but yeah, this is a, a really good question, and so I'll start with the differences between just playing the organ versus playing the piano. I would say I'm much better. I, I call myself an organist and not a pianist, but many organists are also pianists or keyboardists, um, which I'd consider myself. So my one of my biggest differences is the style and the technique between playing the two instruments. So when I'm playing organ, I'm really used to playing left-hand bass. And then when you're playing the piano, you're not going to be playing really left-hand bass. It's going to be way more chords with your left hand. So I think that's one of the biggest stylistic differences uh, for me is when you're playing the piano, you're going to have to do more chords with your left hand. But when I'm on organ, I'm pretty much usually playing bass lines with my left hand. Sometimes I'll do other things, but a lot of times it's, it's bass lines with my left hand. And then I think with the right hand, a lot of the differences is on piano or keyboards, you might do more of a block chord kind of structure. So you might be playing more than just three notes, but on organ, it's really typical to just play triads. Sometimes you'll do more, but it's really common to just play triads and just try to get the color and the tones, maybe the third, the seventh, and a ninth or an extension or whatever color you're trying to get out of the chord. So I'd say that's like the biggest difference in style is just there are style differences with the way that you're going to use your hands on an organ versus on a piano and there are style differences you you know you have sustain on a piano which you don't have on an organ so when you're playing the piano you can play a chord and then sustain press down the sustain pedal and sustain it on organ you can't do that so if you want the full length of the note you've got to hold it out on the on the keys so those are kind of the biggest stylistic differences and then i think a really good part of this question is does it feel different and what do you have to account for i think this is the biggest difference for me 
And the biggest difference for me is when I'm playing organ in our trio, it's just you on sax, myself on the organ, and then Zach on Zach Grabeel on the drums. So we don't have a bass player. So I'm the bass player and I'm the, the chord structure. So one thing that I'm able to do is I'm able to kind of do whatever I want with that because I don't have to communicate with anyone else else as far as like where the chords are going. You can listen to me and hear what I'm playing. So I have a little bit of more freedom when I'm doing that. And But when I'm playing with a bass player, whether it be playing with a bass player when I'm playing on the organ or if I'm playing actual like keys or piano on a gig, it's it can be hard for me at times because I'm so used to playing left-hand bass and it can be really hard for me to break that habit and not want to like play bass lines at times. But I think one thing I just really have to focus on is just listening to the bass player because I'm not, I cannot, I'm sometimes I'm not used to playing with a bass player. So I just really have to listen to the bass player and listen to what they're doing and try my hardest not to step on their toes. So I think, yeah, if you're an organ player and playing with a bass player, sometimes it can be kind of weird for us because we're like, oh, I, I don't need you. Get out of here. I can do that with my left hand, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just it's kind of it's different when you're playing with a bass player as an organist. You just have to be really aware of what's going on and kind of make sure you change up your style and, you know, do more, you know, um, to accentuate what the bass player is doing and maybe more chordal stuff and rhythmic stuff. I think those are great points. There's two things that come to mind. Number one, typically an organ trio would have organ, guitar, and drum set. And I mean, I prefer obviously organ trios with saxophone, organ, and drum set because I'm a sax player and you, and you can do that and you can do that really well. But the guitar is in there a lot of the time because your right hand as an organist is not outlining the harmony as best as a typical piano player would. It's more colorful. It's a little more playful, but the guitar is there to really outline those chords better and 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 contribute to the harmonic component of the music that's being played. So that's you know something you brought up that is is really um, kind of good to know and key to note when you're listening to different organ trios. Sometimes it'll be organ, guitar, drums. Sometimes it'll be organ, horn, and drum. Um, just depends. And then you probably as an organ player play a little differently in, in those two scenarios. And then you talked about the difference between having a bass player on the gig and not one organist that comes to mind that oftentimes did have a bass player on the gig was Shirley Scott. And so a lot of times it would be a quartet with Shirley on the organ, Stanley Turrentine on tenor, and you would have, um, somebody like Bob Crenshaw on bass and then a drummer, sometimes Otis Finch. There's uh, a number of drummers she played with, but if you want to hear the differences in how to approach a gig with a bass player versus not listen to some Shirley Scott and how she deals with a bass player on the gig and, and what she physically plays in that setting versus, you know, a typical groove Holmes record or Jimmy Smith record where usually there's, there's no bass player. Yeah, that's definitely a great point. She's fantastic. And it's it's interesting to know what she's doing specifically with her left hand, because that's going to be what's changing the most of the time and kind of where she's using it and what parts of the organ she's playing it and what like how she's setting up the draw bars and things like that to kind of comp with her left hand. I think that's a, a really great point there, Max. All right. You want to get into this album? Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, let's start with 
just a little bit of uh, history on the album um, in the key of the universe, as we mentioned, uh, by Joey DeFrancesco. It was released on March 1st of 2019, and it received a Grammy nomination for Best Jazz Instrumental Album uh, that I think following, or maybe that year, I'm not sure. Um, but it was recorded in uh, Tempest Recording in Tempe, Arizona. It spans about almost an hour. Um, it's under the Mac Avenue label. Um, so yes, yeah, and, look, Ma- and Mac ahead. Avenue, and Mac Avenue is a great um, label because it has so many fantastic jazz artists. And it's originally from Detroit, Michigan. Started in the in the '90s, mid to late '90s. So it's kind of a, a recent label. You know, typically we're talking about Prestige and Blue Note and um, Impulse, which are all you know 40, 50, 60, 70 year old labels. But this one is is barely 30 years old, and it has you know a lot of key um, current jazz artists on it. A lot of them are kind of more straight ahead oriented but not all and it's just a great label if you ever see an album with the mac avenue label it's likely something worth listening to yeah for sure let's get into the the personnel on the album first and foremost we have um the late great joey DeFrancesco, who if you don't know he passed away recently at the age of 51 i believe um due to uh, a heart attack and so a tragic passing definitely way too soon he was still playing he was still you know influencing the music joey d um he was born in pennsylvania springfield pennsylvania and he was born into a musical family his father papa john also was an organ player and played nationally you know played around and so that led to joey starting to play at the age of four and he got he was taken to gigs when he was five years old. So at a young age, he was really exposed to the music. And then get this at the age of 10, he joined a band with Hank Mobley and Philly Joe Jones. That is incredible. How do you, (laughs) at 10 years old, you're already playing with some of the cats, you know, the top cats you could think of. It just makes you think of some of like the virtuoso players. Like I, this is a, well, Trombone Shorty has been playing. He played with like um who went Marsalis's big band when he was like twelve years old. I think that's who it was. Um and even guys like Stevie Wonder, who's not a jazz artist, but like very kind of could be like considered in some of the stuff he does and his compositions are very jazz influenced. Um, playing on he was, you know, with his record label since he was like twelve years old. So it kind of reminds you of guys like that who are just deemed to be destined to be great from the time they were basically out of the womb like they had this talent so joey d is one of those guys started playing with those guys when he was 10 years old and then he signed to columbia records which is just a massive jazz record label when he was 16 years old and his version of all of me brought the jazz organ kind of back to the forefront of jazz music because it had there had been a lull, not really too many jazz organ players since like the late 80s, I'd say, really. So Joey D kind of brought it back when he started playing. Um, and yeah, he played with, with Miles Davis when he was really young. Um, played with Jimmy Smith on the album Incredible, which is an, an incredible album. And I think Jimmy Smith would be one of Joey D's biggest influences. And we'll talk about it in the album. And you can hear it in his playing. So... 
Yeah, he also played the trumpet and the saxophone. So he's a multi-instrumentalist. He was really good at the trumpet, and he had started to get much better at the saxophone, and he's starting to develop a, a pretty unique sound. Max, what do you think about Joey D's saxophone sound? It was so... It was really on the verge of developing into something really great. He had a sound. He, you know, his his flexibility on the instrument, he did pretty well. You could hear that it was going somewhere. Um, he, I think he really only started playing saxophone around 2018. So it was his most recent instrument, um, you know, his most recent endeavor musically. And I, I'm really saddened by his loss in general, but also because I really wanted to see where his saxophone playing was going to go. And I remember not too long ago, uh, I don't remember where, maybe the NAM show or something. There were a number of video clips of him jamming out on the tenor sax, mm-hmm. you know, with other players and things like that. So, you know, he was really coming in, coming into his own on the saxophone in addition to trumpet and organ. And he's an all around fantastic musician so it's it's no wonder to me that he could do that and pull it off so well but i i really you know it was so close to being something really special um the foundation was definitely there yeah and i in my opinion joey d is kind of a once in a generation kind of talent of a musician so i have no doubt that eventually his saxophone playing he's just so talented that his saxophone playing would have evolved into something really probably pretty special if he had been able to you know continue down that path so let's get into some other players on the album uh next up we have billy hart on drums and he was born in dc and he learned the drums pretty early on uh performed with otis redding and buck hill he studied engineering at howard but then left to tour with shirley horn and then backed up west montgomery and then after Wes died, he moved to New York in 1968. He worked with uh, McCoy Tyner, Joe Zawinul, Pharaoh Sanders, Herbie Hancock, Stan Getz. He was a teacher at Oberlin, and now he teaches lessons at the New York's and the New School in New York. And he's still alive today and has a number of recordings as a leader of of his own bands as well. Yeah, one name you mentioned was Buck Hill who's a tenor player who I absolutely love. If you have not listened or checked out Buck Hill, please do, you know, super swinging in the pocket, but also he's a great technician. um, And Billy Hart has played with anybody and everybody. So. Yeah. Cool. Max, why don't you tell us about Troy Roberts, the one of the saxophone players on the album? Yeah. Troy Roberts is a relatively newcomer on the scene. I mean, he's been active probably, I would say the last, 12 years or so that you know he's been kind of well known in the jazz scene um on this album he plays tenor soprano and alto sax which i really like and on this album he's playing acoustic bass mm-hmm. and you know i've noticed lately that there's been a number of saxophone players i know that have picked up the upright bass um gotta get the gigs i know <laughs> i guess so <laughs> but it's just incredible um how much he's doing on this album i really only know him as a tenor player but obviously he can do all the saxes and he sounds really killing he kind of reminds me of if you would uh mix together joshua redmond and sonny rollins Mm, and he's mm kind of like you know taking the torch uh uh, from sonny rollins and, and doing that plus more 
Um, and sometimes his sound reminds me of kind of earlier Joshua Redman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just a personal note I'd like to make. He um, he is Australian, graduated at 19 with a, a bachelor's in music, got a master's at Miami. He tours the country giving clinics and master classes. He toured Europe um, for a few years. He's played with anybody and everybody, Aretha Franklin, Van Morrison, Christian McBride, Kurt Elling. He is a New York cat. And he maintains a very, very busy schedule. So he's one of the t- current tenor players to really check out. Yeah, and I was somewhat, I had listened to Troy Roberts before, but I had never listened to an entire, like sat down and listened to an hour of his playing at a time. And I was very impressed. I, I really, really dig his sound. So I'm excited to get into to some of that. Next up on the album, we have the percussionist Sammy Figueroa. And Sammy Figueroa is a bit of a journeyman as far as percussion playing goes. He's played with pretty much everybody. He was born in 1948 in the Bronx. And at 18, he joined band of bassist uh, Bobby Valentin and co-founded Raices. He's big in, in Latin jazz, and that's where you'll hear some of that influence on the album. And so he's, he's featured with George Benson, uh, David Bowie, the Brecker Brothers, Joe Cocker, Shaka Khan, Bob Mincer, Sonny Rollins, Dionne Warwick. So just all different kinds of music, you know, from jazz to rock and some different some different things. Yeah, Sammy really gets around um, because you never know when you're going to need a percussionist or want a percussionist. So because he, he does a lot of, of percussive instruments, he, I think, has the pleasure and the experience and the ability to be in a lot of different settings. And so from anything from average white band to Sonny Rollins, he can do, um, he's still alive doing his thing. And, you know, I, I just really admire that. Yeah. It's such a translatable skill and so many different people are going to need a percussion player. It's not like maybe playing the organ and like you might not fit into certain settings or even a saxophone in certain settings you might not fit into. So yeah, he's been all around Max. Why don't you tell us about, Pharaoh Sanders, who is uh, surprised to see him on this album, but happy to see that, that he's on this one. The only thing I like more than a than an album with a saxophone player is an album with two saxophone players. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this this is awesome. We got Pharaoh Sanders. If you don't know, he's kind of big in the history of free jazz, um, along with Albert Eiler and later John Coltrane. I think Albert Eiler referred to um himself and those those two other people as the father the son and the holy ghost of jazz <laughs> or of free jazz yeah so you know john coltrane being the father um i believe pharaoh sanders being the son and and him being the holy ghost albert eiler so he's really big into this music um that we consider free jazz on this album he's he's playing tenor sax he also does a little vocal on the creator has a master plan he was born in 1940 in Little Rock, Arkansas. He sat in with groups in Little Rock and then later moved to California, befriended John Coltrane, um, and he knew Sun Ra, and Sun Ra suggested that he go by the name Pharaoh. His real first name is Farrell, but um, <laughs> Pharaoh Sun Ra sounds was, better. Yeah, Pharaoh sounds better than Farrell, um, and it's yeah, and it kind of matches, you know, Pharaoh Sanders' approach to music is very spiritual, um, very kind of beyond just the notes and rhythms. So I, I think it matches well. 
Um, he played with Train uh, in 1965 after moving to New York. He soon became a pioneer of free jazz, worked with Alice Coltrane. He was in and out of record labels, so a lot of times he would be with a label for only one or two years and then move on and do his own thing. And so he was on big labels like Verve Records in the late 90s, but he soon left. He got tired of, of what the record companies did or wanted from him. He often complained of finding enough work. I mean, part of that is because of the, the approach he takes and the kind of music he really wants to do. But he did kind of have a resurgence lately. He recorded an album with the London Symphony Orchestra in 2020, and that was well acclaimed. Um, and then he's also on this record, which kind of brought him back, you know, into the light um, of, of, you know, jazz recording. Yeah, for sure. And I think he's kind of moved away from his free jazz roots a little bit as of lately. So in this album, he's more so going to play not in that tr free jazz feel. It's going to be a more a more straight ahead. I won't, don't really want to say straight ahead, but it's more a, of like a um, a groove feel or, you know, it's not going to be as, as far out there as some. But there's still elements of it in his playing. I would say it's a mild form of free jazz Um you can definitely tell it's there in his improvisations, but also in his improvisations, he's kind of sticking to a straight ahead approach. So it's a mixed bag from him on this one. And I think it works really well. Yeah. So I'm super excited. I think, I don't think he had recorded anything within a few years of, of them putting this out. So I think it was kind of like a, a, a comeback album for, for him. I'm, I'm fairly certain. More or less. Yeah. He, he had a lull after that, after, you know, working with Verve Records, and I think he may have done a little something in the early 2000s, but it's been it's been a definite um, space of of time b before he's recorded anything until until this album. Yeah, so glad to have him on this one. Let's get into the album itself. The first track on the album is a tune entitled "Inner Being," and so I just want to get all get off with saying all of these tunes are originals by the band some of them are written by pharaoh and i think the rest of them are written by joey d am i right in saying that max yes they're all written originals from joey d francesco except um the creator has a master, master plan that's the only one which that's is pharaoh. okay yeah which is pharaoh sanders yeah so inner being is so we won't need to say who wrote them because you guys already know that um but yeah, so this one starts out with kind of a rubato, floaty intro, which is cool. And then Joey D comes in with the the bass groove on, uh, I think it's left hand. It might be the pedals. We're going to get into that. Um, and then he goes into, you know, the right, he throws his right hand chords over top of it. And then the rest of the, the band joins behind him. And so this is a really unique song. It's in 7-8, but it's really a like a groove. It's not like what you'd think of a typical kind of straight ahead 7-8. It's swung. It's not just straight. So that's interesting. Um, and it Yeah, it's it's still swinging. Yeah. <laughs> even, yes. even though it's a different time time signature, it's it's still in the pocket. And the subdivision of each of those beats is a swung subdivision. Yep. Yep. So it definitely it's it's an interesting sound. I don't think I've heard much jazz in seven eight. Um you get five sometimes, but yeah, seven eight. So it's a it's a really unique style and way to start the album. And so the form is an AAB form. There's no last A and each section is eight bars on on this one so 
yeah, Max, do you have anything to say about the the melody and about the the form of the the song before we get into the solos? Yeah, I appreciate the difference in form. Um, it kind of reminds me of some Horace Silver tunes that have a similar form, AAB. Um, and it's yeah, twenty four bar form. I you know I appreciate you don't have to repeat the A section one more time if you don't if you don't want to. Um, it, you know, it's definitely there. I think the melody is really cool. There's lots of moving notes, um, but it's definitely succinct. I like how it's doubled by the organ. So it's not just sax playing the head, it's mm-hmm. sax and organ. And so you, you just hear the complexity of Joey D right from the get go where he can have, you know, have an intricate melody and double it. Um, and not just say, Hey, sax player, you play a lot of notes. Why don't you just take the head? And no, he says, I'm playing it with you. It's more cohesive. We are a band. It's my tune. Let's do this. I, I appreciate that a lot. And I also think the intro is a perfect setup. It reminds me of floating on the water a little bit. You know, you get some, I don't know, extra musical um, feelings or effects on a lot of these tunes. And this is one that that comes out with with something you know imaginative you can imagine yourself floating on the water with the sounds that they're making so i appreciate that and i also like how troy is doing sopranos sax on this one um the soprano solo is really killing he has a nice sound he's all over the horn i also love his kind of more gritty high notes um and he kind of starts out on his horn in a higher range than one would expect so he's kind of coming in hot, but not too hot. And there's lots of, of eighth note lines that are phrased really well. You get some double time, faster lines at 237 to 241. And then he's back to some higher notes at 247. And he nicely tapers off this solo, moving lower on the horn. And he, and he moves less in intensity to, to move on to the organ solo. Yeah, I really do like Troy's solo as well. I really like a lot of the ideas, and I think his feel is really good, and that's something that we're going to... A lot of these guys have really good feel, and that's something that's present on on this album. So, And one thing is Joey D is just really grooving behind him. And one thing I want to point out that I... Like when I was listening to this for the first time is, you know, Joey D, you hear the bass line, but then you hear like some keys and then he starts playing the melody and it's like okay as a an organist you kind of realize there's something going on and what he's doing and what he does very often on this album is he plays the bass lines with the pedals he's playing his left hand on either the left or the bottom register of the the organ and then he plays with his right hand to play the melodies so that's going to happen a lot on this album. And there are times when I can't even believe it's going on because he's walking bass lines with his feet. He's playing groove bass lines. He's playing in seven with his feet. So really impressive to note. And this is the first time when I was like, I heard it and I was like, okay, bass. And I was like, wait, there's an electric piano in there. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, he's playing the bass line with his, with his foot. So interesting to note. Um, yeah, I really did like Troy's solo as well. And then... We get into Joey's solo. It starts out kind of simple, but with more rhythmic ideas and not a whole lot of moving lines to start out. But then as the solo starts to develop, he starts to incorporate more moving lines until he's really chopping it up from like the 320 mark to the 330 mark and really getting into the lines of faster moving lines, kind of the Jimmy Smith kind of thing. 
um, where he's really chopping it up. And then at 335, he's, he pulls the draw bars out. So if you don't know what that means, you have draw bars on an organ that change the chorus of the organ. And so when you pull them out, you can get a much more full sound. Think about like a, a gospel church organ when it's really roaring. That's what the draw, that's what we call fully out or all the way out. And that's when the draw bars are just pulled all the way down and you're really getting that full organ sound. So Joey D pulls the draw bars out a little bit and he really brings up the energy at 335 with some more groove feeling ideas. And then he develops a solo like this the rest of the way out. And I think it's it's a really good solo. He the entire solo he's playing the bass line with his feet, comping with his left hand, and soloing with his right hand. And when I heard this, I was just like, this man is a beast. There are plenty of organists that are kind of capable of doing this to an extent. But I, I think when Joey D does it, nothing suffers. Like the bass line is is ever present. It's the moving bass line. It's not just him tapping the root with his foot. The comping is really good and the solo never suffers. So it's it's incredible here. And I was just kind of blown away. I actually had to go on YouTube and make sure I watched him play it live. I was like, I'm gonna make sure that he actually does this when he's playing it live. And he one hundred percent does. You can go Go on YouTube, type in inner being live, and you can see Joey D holding down bass lines with his left feet and soloing with his right feet while comping with his left. So, man, this it's something he's really killing, and it's just elite-level skill. It is beyond impressive. Um, everything is always in the pocket. It's swinging. All the, all the stuff he's doing, you know, if you have every limb. <laughs> oh, my God. Working at the same time. Um, his whole body really is swinging. It's like every part of him That's is right. swinging. <laughs> I love the double time lines at 325 during his solo. And when he gets groovy at 335, mm-hmm. I really started bopping my head. I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. This mm. is it. Um, so I, I love the tail end of, of that Joey D solo um, as well. And on this one, on the head out, they kind of do a reverse form of the melody. So they actually come back in with the melody of the B section. They don't come in on the top of the A section. So it's kind of like a cool bookend or I, there's a word for it where you kind of start out with the opposite of how you started. It's almost like a mirror, like you're mirroring, yeah. you know, the, the melody in a way. Yeah, you're mirroring the melody. And that's really, uh, really neat. Um, I, it's really hip. I, I dig that a lot. And then he repeats the line of the A section uh, melody, the last line three times. And then they slow down that last time to a final couple of chords. And then we get some added soprano sax notes, which I really love adding notes to the final chord of as a sax player. It's really cool. And and Troy does that really well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's a cool way to, to end the tune. They kind of are going to end some tunes in a similar way to where they're all kind of just kind of riffing at the end and adding stuff to it. So, yeah, that's going to be a common theme. Let's get into the second track on the album, which is entitled Vibrations in Blue. Max, why don't you start us off on, on this one? Yes, Vibrations in Blue is 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 one that I, I really like listening to. Um, it has a very distinct intro. I, I don't know the best way to put it, but it sounds sort of Middle Eastern sounding. Um, sounds like a lot of harmonic minor stuff going on. A little open-ended, open octaves or or um, fifths as well. It's very ominous. 
there's some nice call and response between the organ and the sax, and I like the use of the low range that Troy is using on the alto sax. Um, a lot of times, especially on alto, players won't get down to the low notes that much, but here he does that right from the start of the track, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think this intro is really unique. I definitely feel the the Middle Eastern kind of influence. It almost feels maybe more towards India. It there's a sound yeah. that Joey D's playing, and it's a keyboard patch, but I it sounds like a sitar. But I think I don't know what it is, but it has that kind of sitar kind of like kind of sound to it. So it definitely You're has right. that kind of Middle Eastern like Eastern music feel, not Western music feel to it. Yes, it's Eastern music influenced. Um, that's that's the right way to put it. I, I you know, it's it's tough to say. There are a couple of scales. You know, we think about uh, major minor scales. There's also a an Arabic scale. There's a Jewish scale, um, and then the Indian music is um, organized differently. And so there's some specific scales that outline the foundations of Indian music too. So I think they're they're pulling from a couple of those during this section, um, but it's it's all in all really cool. Yeah, for sure, and it has a, a unique sound to it. And then they take their time with the intro, so they they don't get into the groove until about the one minute mark, where Joey D starts to kind of creep in with the bass line underneath it all, and then you get the melody starting at at one twenty five on on this track. Max, you yeah, want to tell us about the the form of this one? Yeah, it, the form is is a twelve bar blues, but we are <clears throat> we are in in five four, so we're not in four four. We're we're in in five here with the time signature, and really you should think three plus two, one two three one two one two three one two, with with how they're they're feeling the five four. You can feel five, and you can feel seven, uh, a number of different ways. With five four, you can feel two plus three one two one two three one two one two three or you can you can feel it as three plus two and so here they're doing kind of the three two five four feel and again it's it's a 12 bar blues in five the head is very noty the last four bars of the form so it's it's kind of a distinct melody that is really busy and 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 kind of challenging that last um four bars of the form but you know they pull it off really well it's a nice, um, nice groove that that you know. It takes its time to kind of settle in um, as well. So it's not like I don't know. I just feel like the swing groove really settles in at the one fifty five mark, and before that, they're kind of it. It you know, it's it's a definite groove that's been solidified by drums and organ, but it just kind of it it breathes or it it's continually developing until that one minute 55 mark in my opinion yeah and i think one word that you've said a few times and i've said that we're gonna say a lot and kind of is the the theme of the album is the groove so like they're gonna use different time signatures they're gonna be different elements and things and compositions but there's one underlying thing and it's groove and a lot of this album is revolved around the groove of, of each track so yeah i 
I I think it's cool the to do this in five. I really like it's kind of interesting to start off in seven eight and then go into five four. We haven't even sniffed like a swing normal four 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 feel yet, which is cool. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna get into to Troy's solo just a little bit. And I really one thing that I I notice most is his use of space on his solo. And he's really grooving on this one. And the feel is great again. So he's really digging into that groove that Joey D's putting in with the bass and they're getting into, you know, in the rhythm section. Right. He plays around with longer notes and he's a little more rhythmic um, than the other solo. I like his lines later on, right around 217 to 228. And his solo has some kind of quote unquote out elements you know we always talk about going out of the key sometimes when we're soloing and so some of that is in here where you take an idea up a half step uh and then back down or you know you um implement tritone sub and and, and do a number of different things so he he's doing that here he also has some nice screaming high notes sprinkled throughout so again more range on the horn than you might expect and a lot of great stuff coming from troy roberts and then after that, you kind of get into the organ solo, and there's just some great stuff happening, some really fast, incredible lines. You get more blues elements here. Uh, it's really grooving at 345, and then he kind of goes out a bit at 352. Yeah, and so I want to point out, I'm going to point this out, but I'll try to do it briefly. He's once again playing the bass on the pedals with his, his left foot, and he's comping with his left hand and then sewing with his right. And one thing that stands out is when he's doing this, he's walking the baseline on this. Like there's a walking baseline in five that he's doing with his feet. And he'll do that continually. So he's walking his baseline with his feet, comping with his left and sewing with his right. And I could honestly, I could talk about how great Joey D is on every solo, but I'll just go ahead and tell you now that basically everything that Joey D is going to do when it comes to soloing is going to be killer. Like there's nothing that's not going to be top notch. So I'll just go ahead and say that now. And I'll try to point out a few things that stand out. Um, at 350, like you said, he uh, kind of goes out. He uses uh, tritone substitution in that first four bars of the form. And it's really cool, kind of that going out feel. And then they're down a half step into the four and after the, you know, in the fifth bar of the form. And then one thing that was really, really cool is at 409, he's mirroring his right hand with the bass pedals in his left foot. So when this happened, I honestly, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor because I've heard guys play like some kind of bass solos with, with the foot, you know, with the bass pedals. But this was, this was something. He's comping with his left hand and he's mirroring what he's playing in his right hand with his left foot. That Man. is a really, yeah, that's a really hip moment in that solo. If uh, Do you know what minute marker that is? It's at uh, 409. Yeah, if everyone checked that out, 409, it's incredible how he's, you know, copying what he's doing in his hand with his foot. <laughs> it's hard to do that. It's hard to mirror what you're, I mean, it's, you know, not as hard, but it's hard to mirror what you're doing with your left and right hand, let alone right. doing it with your foot. <laughs> and it's not just something simple like he's grooving at that point so i would say yeah i would say also on the solo i could have used one more chorus from him i feel like i could always ended. use another one he takes he takes an extra <laughs> one a lot of times so that's true but this one i wish he did an extra one i was like 
Give me a little bit more. You gave me so much. I yeah, want more. Yeah, for sure. I think I don't know. one thing I want to point out is he utilizes the bass pedals on the organ better than I think anyone I've ever heard. Other guys will use them well. Milt Buckner's incredible, and he'll play bass lines with his feet. He'll bass yeah. solo with his feet. But I think Joey D utilizes them better than some of most other people that I hear. A lot of times what you get with the bass pedals is they're used to accent what's playing being played with the left hand. So someone will be walking a bass line with their left hand and they'll accent some of the downbeats and some of the movements with the bass pedals because the pedals have a different timbre to them than the left hand does. They're a little bit fuller and punchier of a sound. So that's something that happens a lot. Guys will use them as accents and not necessarily as... A, a keyboard in a sense so i really i really enjoy joey d using the full range of the the organ so yeah right. and i i like the vamp it kind of ends on the root and it just vamps out it's got a really cool another word that we'll use a lot spiritual feeling to it and lots of call and response from the, the different players which is another theme on the album yeah, I love how they're ending this one. I also appreciate the nice kind of whiny sounds that the soprano sax is giving at 527. That's a neat um, approach to playing right there. I think, again, many ideas kind of based on a harmonic minor scale or something. There's lots of percussion and drum elements here. And then it fades out on that kind of drone sound you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, that potentially sitar-esque sound. We don't it's just yeah. a keyboard patch of some type, but yeah, I think it's supposed to mimic kind of like a sitar sound. Right. Right. Let's get into the third track on the album. That Awake track, Go ahead. Yeah, Max. Awake and Blissed. Um I I say that because I like that title. Um, yeah. I I when I first saw it, I thought Awake and Blessed, but mm. no, it's Blissed. Mm. <laughs> Got to watch that eye. It can be hard um, to be awake and blissed. When I'm awake, I'm when I wake up, I'm usually not too blissed. That's right. It's um something to live by. Uh this is kind of the first more straight ahead song on the album. You get a fast four four swing, there's an eight bar intro, and it is an AABA thirty-two bar form. So it's a little more predictable, a little more what you would expect. Um the melody reminds me a little bit of of what you would get if you mixed Thelonious Monk with McCoy Tyner. The bridge is very monkish to me, mm. that melody. Little hint of Horace Silver, uh, a little bit. Um, not a lot, but, you know, just that's what the melody reminded me of, those three guys coming together to, to make a melody. And then after the head, the organ takes the first solo. So I appreciate, you know, not always starting out with a sax solo. You know, you can mix up who takes the first solo. I love how Joey D starts. He's very rhythmic. He uses kind of a, a motif to pull from and develop. And it kind of sounds like a song quote. I couldn't think of the song, but it it definitely reminds me of the melody to In the Mood, mm. um, the great big band Glenn Miller standard. Uh, it, it sounds exactly like a song quote, but if I were to think about it, it's almost mirroring in the mood at least at least rhythmically that's how joey d kind of starts so i i appreciated that and another thing to to note is when they're um having the solos and how they feel the beat they do a four four kind of on the floor for the bridge but not on the a sections 
And then later on in the solo, they keep that hard driving 4-4 feel into a one-chorus keyboard solo. So Joey D is not only soloing on organ, he also does some, I guess, electric piano soloing, which also sounds great, and it's a little more bop-heavy and bop-oriented. Yeah, and I want to touch on something that you said, which is, this happens to me a lot, and I want to see if it happens to you, is you'll be listening to a record, and you'll hear a quote, and you know it's a quote, and you know you've heard the song before, but you're like, what song is that? And you can't think of it, and it just bothers you all day. You'll sing the sing it in your head till you can think of what song it is. That happens to me a lot. Absolutely, especially when you check out an album for a first or second time, and you notice those things. Uh, it's mind-boggling to try and keep track of all the quotes and try and find out, wait, I know that. But what is that? I can't think of it. What song is that? What solo is that? Um, it is very frustrating. And that was one of those moments for me. I was like, I know that is from something. It sounds like a, a big band arrangement or a swing tune, but I couldn't think of it. The best I could come up with is it kind of sounds like in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely happened to me. I just wanted to, I'm sure that those out there listening you've had that if you listen to a lot of different records you've had that like oh man what is that what's that song and you're trying to think of it and then maybe it comes to you later but yeah i i i love the the solo on this one by joey d i one thing that i really like is that he takes the the solo on the organ and then on the keys i think it adds a really nice texture and they're different the solos are very different it's not like he just keeps doing what he was doing on the organ on the keys he does a very different style of solo on the keys so i i appreciate that one yes it's a very very good thing to bring up you know you can do all types of different instruments in one gig or on one record but it's next level to approach them differently and treat them differently because they are different instruments. You don't want to do the exact same thing to each instrument. Otherwise, there would not be different instruments. You would just there would just be that one instrument. So there's different um, uh, types of instruments on this record played by you know some of the same people doing them. But the the really professional way to do it is to treat it differently because you are on a different instrument. Yeah, the approach and the musicality there is is definitely a little bit next level. I really, really like the the sax solo on this one. He's really killing on Troy is really killing on this one. And I feel like we get to hear kind of his style and his influences come out a little bit more on this one. Yes, we actually get a little more from from Troy Roberts. Um it is a really cool solo. You can hear a mix of influences from Train to Joe Henderson to Sonny Rollins. I get a little bit of Johnny Griffin as well. Mm. His sound, mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier, is uh, kind of similar to um, classic Joshua Redman. Not how Josh is sounding today, because he's sounding a little bit more modern and he's doing a lot more compositions and stuff. But, you know, 15 years ago, Joshua Redman. Um, I'm getting that from Troy Roberts a little bit. There's a little bit of the sheets of sound um, approach on the horn popularized from John Coltrane at 220 to 223. And then the melody comes back in right at 228. So there's a lot of different um, influences you can hear in Troy Roberts playing. And he's so good at pulling from those influences in his specific way. 
So after that, um, we get the head, and um, a finality is reached. Roberts adds some flickering licks on the sax, and we hit a, a final chord. And then Joey D does some final fast fills, and then Roberts comes back in with a few more, and it's kind of a battle. <clears throat> A battle for who will have the last word on this tune. So they trade back and forth those fills, and it's it's really clever. It's really fun. <clears throat> but eventually, Joey D on the organ has the final word and has the final sound on it. But I love how they're ending that that tune. Yeah, and it's kind of a a similar ending to a, you know different endings on the album but this one's really feels like a discussion like they're having like a a discussion between the two of them and they're kind of going back and forth and then joey d has to get the last word he's like this is my album i'm gonna get the last the last word on this so yeah plays a lick on the organ that holds down an electric piano with his left hand that's kind of the last sound that we get in the song is all is all joey d there that's right it's kind of a, a battle to the finish um and it, it's just really hip. The next track on the album is called It Swung Wide Open. I really like the title, and it does swing really hard. Um, it's kind of a 16-bar blues form. It's a really great composition. It's a cool division of the melodic phrasing that features the drum set at different times in the form. So I think that's really clever, the way they're using the drums um, and how you know it's not as you would expect it's always at a different spot in the form yet they're still keeping the form throughout yeah i really like these drum breaks in the melody i think it's a rule a really cool compositional technique and one thing one song that this song the really reminds me of is a song by the james carter organ trio in the way that it's written and arranged and the melody and the hits and the way they trade on the solos as well is the tune entitled Let Us Toss Yo Salad and it's written by Leonard King and it's on, I think, Live at the Crossroads, I think is the album that's on, but it really reminds me of this song, the the kind of faster pace, the drum breaks, the melody. It, it That's what I was thinking when I heard this track for the first time. That's a really good connection. Yeah, this one does remind me of the James Carter organ trio a little bit. And some of Robert's playing on this solo he later takes um, reminds me of James Carter-ish, more so than his other solos. So they're kind of really in that, I don't know, hard-driving swing mindset, but also really having fun with it. I think that the title of the the track kind of gives you, it kind of screams James Carter organ trio. It swung wide open. That's what they do. They swing wide open, you know, and they're yeah. known for just letting loose and just really getting into the swing and the groove. And I agree. There are definitely times on this album when Troy Roberts is kind of letting loose and it, it's reminding me of James Carter and the groove elements of, of the, the album kind of help assist with that. Yeah. I wish uh, on this album, Troy Roberts did that just a little bit more. But I appreciate his artistry, and, and you should not treat every solo the same. So I like how he's he's approaching this solo differently, because based on the melody and the overall feel of the song, um, what he's doing really complements it really well. The solos start, and the organ and the sax take turns swapping choruses, and then they start trading eights. So it's not like a organ solo as long as it wants, and then a sax solo as long as it wants. They're 
treating the whole solo section as a trade. And this reminds me of the tune Blues Up and Down from Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. They do that on uh, their record. And, you know, they, they trade choruses and then solo and then trade eights, trade fours, trade twos, trade ones. So here they're not doing that much, but their solos is just a big trade section. And I really appreciate that. I was definitely waiting for them to start trading fours. I was like, I think, it, you know, like it could have gone to fours. That would have been cool. But I really, I love that back and forth between the solos there. It kind of fits the feel of the the album and kind of the the back and forth kind of, you know, uh, theme of the album with the musicians, you know, kind of playing off of each other really well. That's right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff going on in that back and forth. I would just want to mention at the 225 mark, Troy Roberts quotes the bridge melody to a night in Tunisia. <laughs> and that whole eight bar solo section is just really swinging, really killing from Troy Roberts. And then Joey right after that comes in quoting the last idea Roberts was playing. Mm. So, you know, we've talked about using that as um, a tool when going from one player to the next in a solo section. Yeah, for sure. I, I do love that technique. Um, Joey's going to give you all kinds of different techniques and that's one that he uses a lot. I really like the, the, I can feel the influence of Jimmy Smith here on Joey D's playing and you can tell it's probably his biggest influence. He's kind of influenced by all the guys and can do all the different sounds and techniques, but it right here, it really screams Jimmy Smith to me from the lines that he's playing, you know, the faster chops and the, the moving lines to also the sound that he's got going. And so one thing that Jimmy Smith was, his sound was a little bit different than some of the other organ players. He didn't use quite as much vibrato or chorus in the organ all the time. So a lot of times it kind of had that smoother sound to it. Different than a guy like Groove Holmes, one of my favorites who really would use a lot of chorus. Even when he's playing the melody, Groove Holmes would use a lot of chorus and the draw bars would be out a little bit. Jimmy Smith would kind of hold back on that until he's really getting into a solo. He'd start to open it up a little bit more. So I think Joey D is kind of similar in the way he's playing and the sound of the organ that he's that he's getting. That's a really great point. There's a lot of Jimmy Smith um, influence in Joey D's playing on this record. And I've heard him talk about both Jimmy Smith and the great Don Patterson mm. organist as kind of his two main influences there's obviously more and you know there's only a couple occasions that i'm talking about where i've actually heard him speak on his influences but i know dom patterson is a big one and obviously jimmy smith yeah definitely and it's 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 evident here max why don't you uh tell us about how this song kind of ends right after the organ and the sax trade the drums come back in and the drums don't start a drum solo. They start on the top of the form. So again, they're kind of using a technique they used earlier where they're mirroring the head out as a kind of reversal from the head in. And they're actually getting back with the melody at that point. The head out is arranged as a reversal of the melody at the top. Um, and I just think that's, that's a really cool, it's a really neat arrangement that they're, they're using and it's it's kind of the opposite of the start with the 12 bars of the band and the drums um, come back in the last four bars. And then again, we have organ and sax trading off 
from one another, feeding off each other to end this one. So we're using that ending technique again, which is really fun and exciting. I, I really appreciate that. You can tell that that's Joey D's one of his favorite ways to, to end a tune is like a let's have a little back and forth, you know, just playful kind of ending to it. And it's fun. There's, you know, I don't know, but there's a there's a sense I think some musicians have where, oh, we have to be just so we have to be, you know, perfect with our arrangement. We have to be on it. We have to be solid. We can't do too much. We can't do too little. But the aspect of fun that is foundational in music, in my opinion, is sometimes lost, especially in the recording studio. I get really in my head whenever I'm making a record for somebody or if I'm just, um, you know, uh, on top of a, a track, I'm being overdubbed on top to come into the studio on somebody else's record or if I'm doing my own thing, whatever it is, I get more in my head in the recording studio. But if you know, some more arrangements had some things like this where we're feeding off each other and we're trying to mimic how we would play maybe on a live gig more. I think I think that would do well for jazz music in general. And I just really appreciate what they're doing on these endings uh, because it keeps that element of fun. I definitely think that Joey D kind of just lets the music speak to him and doesn't he's not too strict about where the music's gonna go you hear him playing live and he might play like in the middle of a solo just take like a you know do kind of something completely different you know not you know he'll do like a whole gospel chorus you know play a hymn in the middle you know and i think he just kind of lets the music speak to him and takes it where it's gonna go and you know so he it's not as buttoned up he doesn't feel like you know you have to do things a certain way you can have fun with the music you can interact with the other guys on the gig and let them kind of get you know what they want to say out you don't have to just end the song in you know such a matter of fact way you know so i i I really appreciate joey d's approach here and kind of being flexible and letting the music speak for itself and do you know move where it needs to go absolutely that's a great way to put it let the music thrive and and let it flow through you and with the people you're playing the music with and don't be afraid to you know have interjections like that or or interplay with where the music is going yeah for sure i yeah i think it kind of speaks to the the theme of the album like this spiritual theme to the album everyone's kind of you know everyone's collective consciousness and that's the feeling that you're getting so it it makes sense that they do it in this way rather than just having it super buttoned up because there's a spiritual kind of theme to it. That's right. That's a good point. Um, Then the next track on the album, we get the title track, In the Key of the Universe. Dwayne, what did you think about the very beginning? I, I loved it, but there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so this track starts out with a gong, and I think this is a really cool technique. Like, How often do we hear a gong in jazz music? Uh, there's lots of different percussive elements and this is kind of like a spiritual kind of gong feeling like arrived in heaven almost so yeah I think that's that's really cool and I like the melody here instead of like a super moving melody it's just a repeated melody Um, and yeah and I also like the the bridge on this tune as well that's right I I love that that gong you you know they're just 
starting out with that gong and you expect that they're going to do kind of a lengthy intro like they did on an earlier track but here they do that gong and some percussion and then the band just comes in hot right away much sooner than you would expect it's full of energy they clearly are starting out the tune right away and it's sort of a gotcha moment so i think that's so clever it's so hip you think it's going to be loose and ominous for another 30 seconds or so but no they just come in swinging and that melody you're right it's a one it's just one four bar phrase repeated six times so that's two times through a 12 bar minor blues form and then that third time through it's kind of a B section melody. So we're getting an AAB 12 bar minor blues song form. And so they're they're using or Joey D is using that AAB song uh, organization here once again. And then the solos keep that 12 bar minor blues. There's great dynamics from the horns on some of the lines of that melody. And this is the first track we get with the tenor saxophonist, free jazz extraordinaire, Pharaoh Sanders. And he takes the first solo. He showcases his iconic big spiritual sound. He has some altissimo at 224. There's some kind of faster double time lines just before that. And he also starts out with some repeating notes, note ideas. And he showcases some extended technique techniques some sheets of sound and i get the sense of a little george adams here so george adams is a tenor player did a lot of stuff with don pullen um new york cat and i just feel like the way pharaoh sanders is playing on this track reminds me a lot of george adams um so that's just a cool connection i i came up with yeah i really enjoy pharaoh sanders playing on this it's it's cool. He's swinging as can be. I, one thing that I noticed is he has a really warm lower end um, on the tenor, and I really like that. It's like it feels really nice um, and full and low and warm. He has a surprisingly warm sound. Um, it's big and still warm, it's, especially it's, for a free free jazz guy. Not to say that that's like, right. Yeah, but that's it's kind of surprising to get that really warm, you know, kind of feeling to it so i i really like that i think ferro sanders has a, a really nice sound i like you know the the range and you talk about the altissimo in conjunction with the lower end i think he has a, a really full uh really nice sound part of that is because he's a little older now you know he's he's i don't know how old but on this record but he's he's aging and as sax players age um they tend to lose the grip of their embouchure that they had earlier on. And so it just naturally becomes uh, a little warmer sound on the instrument as they get older. So part of that I think is, is from that, but also, uh, you know, from his playing, you can't really tell that he's still pulling from a, a lot of techniques and he still has his, his iconic spiritual approach when he's playing. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting tidbit. I actually, I didn't, I didn't really realize that, but that makes sense. It's like, yeah, once you get around 70 years old or so, uh, this is just from what I have noticed or have thought about. Um, uh, it's not like I'm referencing a book on the subject yeah. of saxophone embouchure, but uh, I just noticed, you know, some older cats, once you get past that kind of 70 year old mark, uh, maybe 65, you start to you know, your, your sound kind of naturally changes because just, you know, 
your muscles are older yep. and the, the way you're gripping around the mouthpiece is just not as, as solid or succinct as it was, um, you know, in your twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties. So I, it's just a, it's just a tidbit of, of saxophone playing that you may recognize from, you know, aging cats doesn't, does, it doesn't take away from their musicality or their approach or their sound or their, uh, amazing ability but it's just something that naturally seems to occur yeah that's really cool i really appreciate that that perspective um joey d on his solo he comes in hot and soulful on this one and then once again you get all three the the bass pedals the left hand comping and the right hand soloing and i love his sense of groove and feel on this one but also he mixes it in with like the lines and the chops and like the more like Jimmy Smith kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I think it's really cool. I think he has just a really good mix of ideas and the way that he uses different things and develops his solo is, is really cool. And then I really love the blues lick at the end at 338 that goes back into the, the head. There's a lot of Jimmy Smith influence in this organ solo. Um, you can definitely hear that in some of his lines and his sound. And then after that, we get the melody, and there's there's two saxes on the melody. There's Pharaoh and Troy Roberts both together playing the head. But there was no Troy Roberts solo, and there was no tenor sax trading. A lot of the times when you have both um, tenor sax players on a recording, there's some interplay there's some trading going on or you know they interact beyond just playing the melody together and here we do not get that and i just wanted you know at least one chorus of some tenor sax battling going on <laughs> um i i don't know you could make the argument it's a little overdone so you could say you know they didn't want to go there they certainly didn't have to but I would have appreciated just a little bit of back and forth Roberts and Pharaoh Sanders on this one. I agree with you completely, Max. I I definitely personally could have gone for a Troy Roberts solo. And I mean, the track is only five minutes and five seconds. So guys, come on. You know that Max and I like the stretch. Five minutes, <laughs> that's like not even enough time to use the bathroom. Like <laughs> just give yeah. you know give us what we want give us that solo give us some trading like stretch it out i mean they'll do that on the album but come on just do it here what you can do it again it's fine why not you have two saxophones on the same song let's have some 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 fun some with fun, it yeah um even though they do display that later on in the album or earlier you know we talked about how they like to end tune so there's enough of that to where i'm happy but just We're on selfish. this one we want more give it to us yeah, why not have another another minute on the track and, and have some tenor trading? I, I don't get it. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that's cool about the, the end of this tune is that they start with the gong and then they end with the gong. So I think that's a cool cool way to end the song. That's the last thing you hear is that gong hit. To gong or not to gong, that is the question. And, and here they gong. They give us that, <laughs> the answer that we need. Oh man, so that's it's a that's a cool song. The first time we get to hear Pharaoh uh, Sanders on the album, so cool. Let's yep. move, let's move on to one that's written by Pharaoh Sanders and uh, features him very heavily, and that is the Creator has a master plan. And yeah, I yeah, this, 
this yeah. one, this one, you know, we get a lot of Pharaoh Sanders influence. And I just want to say really quickly that um, the tune, The Creator Has a Master Plan, was written by Pharaoh and Leon Thomas. And Leon Thomas was a jazz vocalist originally from East St. Louis. And he's kind of known for his free jazz singing, yet he was also a really great blues singer. So he started out kind of being like a Joe Williams type. And then as he progressed, he kind of became known as the John Coltrane of jazz vocalists. So it's important to, to, to bring him up when we're talking about this tune. Leon Thomas, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He passed in 1999, but he's had an influence in free jazz. And I, I suspect he and Pharaoh Sanders were kind of close. Yeah, and that's an interesting uh, niche genre of jazz is free jazz singing. For sure, you don't hear about that super duper often. So, This is also the longest track on the album. It's, it's a whopping 11 minutes, but it doesn't feel like 11 minutes when you actually listen to it. I, and I don't know how they accomplish that. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on. And a lot of the song is just kind of a two-chord vamp. But um, it doesn't seem like a full 11 minutes. Um, it seems a lot shorter. It starts out with Pharaoh leading the band. He showcases a great vibrato, his spiritual nice approach. He's got cool dynamics on the ends of his saxophone phrases. So listen to how he's ending his phrases. You know, another great player we talked about was Dexter Gordon in an earlier album. And the way he ends his phrases, well, Pharaoh Sanders has his way of ending them. And it's cool to to really listen for how he's doing that. There's lots of percussive additions here. I love the sax scream at minute marker 109. It's raw. It's intense. It's meaningful. It's very spiritual. Um, I love some of those things that Pharaoh Sanders does. And then we're getting the piano sound also on this kind of open-ended intro. It sounds like it's kind of two times through a melody and it's without a driving beat. Yeah, and the reason that we're getting the piano sound, I think, is uh, important to note is because Troy Roberts is on the bass on this one instead of the the saxophone. So we're able to get a, a different feel than the like an organ trio kind of feel. And Troy hops on the hops on the bass, and I really love this intro. They're kind of moving together but freely, which is cool. And Pharaoh has a really really great sound here as a really full sound again and it's full of like really great vibrato and like max was saying i really felt the emotion with that sax scream at 109 and there's definitely kind of a spiritual element to this one uh, in the sound as and as in referenced in the song title so that's right um really cool expansive intro then there's a pause and then the groove comes in outlined on bass by troy roberts and i just think it's so cool that troy can play bass so well <laughs> and it's 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 in the pocket it's it's grooving um i'm really impressed by troy roberts there yeah if you didn't know that like if you just heard this track by itself you wouldn't know that it's a saxophone player playing the bass, like not a, you know, he's he's killing on the bass. So yeah, it's awesome to get a different element from him. The intro lasts a whole two minutes and fifty seconds, but it doesn't really feel drawn out or overdone to me. I feel like it's really thanks to like it's kind of moving the whole time, and also really thanks to the work that Pharaoh Sanders is doing on this one and his playing on this. He's giving us a lot and kind of 
speaking to us and giving us emotion and, you know, different, different things in his playing. So it's keeps your attention the whole time. Absolutely. Um, and then after that intro, we get that kind of two chord vamp. I alluded, I alluded to earlier, it settles in right at the three minute mark. There's some, some longer notes by Pharaoh that are really nice, both low and high on the horn. Um, but he maintains that great sound. There's some cool organ interjections right around the six minute mark. And then we get some vocals from Pharaoh Sanders right at 607. Um, with words coming in right at 618 from Pharaoh Sanders. There's some nice back and forth from the vocals and the organ. And then the sax comes back in. And then right at 715, overall, the music kind of slowly, dynamically moves downward. And it's not you know, immediate, it's a very gradual, slow, dynamic movement um, that's kind of really hard to achieve the way they're doing it, but they do it splendidly. Overall, you know, it's a very spacey and spiritual feel. I love the blending of Pharaoh's longer notes being backed up by organ fills. Um, there's some nice call and response right there between the sax and organ later on and then the vocals come back in at 915 what did you think about all that went into that um arrangement any any thoughts on that yeah i i have a few thoughts on on this tune and the arrangement and the feel of the tune um i like the melody i feel like it's kind of light and floating and it, it almost feels like we're in the clouds that's like the feeling that i got from it which is i think what they're trying to convey and the chord structure is pretty simple, but I like that because I feel like it can allow for more freedom of expression, which is kind of what it feels like they're going for. So it's not a super complex progression. It's pretty simple so that, you know, you kind of get more of that, that emotion and that feeling. And I, yeah, I, I think it's really cool. It's interesting. The, the use of Pharaoh on with the vocals and there's just a lot of stuff that like really stood out to me and really kind of surprised me on this one. So it's so unique and different, you know, this song. It it doesn't sound like much I've heard in jazz before, so I, I really appreciate the the composition of this one. And again, it does not seem like 11 minutes when you're listening to it. It's just, there's got, it, there's some really nice movement all along the way. They're kind of changing up um, the texture a little bit as they're going. So there's a lot of different checks textures and there's a lot of different ways they're using their instruments that the whole experience is is really um, satisfactory it's really interesting and you would go you would look at it you know if you're looking at the album and go 11 minutes i don't want to listen to this for 11 minutes and then you actually listen to it and you realize that it's it's kind of a spiritual journey and mm -hmm. There's just so much going on, but it doesn't seem like there's so much going on. You know, it's it's really organic. It's really unique. And I I dig it. Um, and I don't really dig stuff that is very similar to it. But somehow for this one, it works. Yeah, you said something that I want to highlight. And you said two things. You said movement and then you said journey. And I think those things kind of go together to why it doesn't feel like it's that long. The song has a lot of movement and it feels like you're always moving towards something. You're on this spiritual journey with them. You're not just 
it could get really boring if you're just doing the same thing for 11 minutes, but that's not what they're doing. The intro is so unique and so different than the melody and then the solos and the call and response. It's just, it's moving and you're getting, you're moving towards something. It feels like you're going towards something. So I think that's, it's really cool. And it kind of really fits the the feel of, of the album really well. One thing that Pharaoh Sanders does is he does these like vocalizations. It's like singing technique at like 9.06 to like 9.34. And it's kind of like a trill kind of thing. And I, I was not expecting it. I don't know if it's like a utilized singing technique. I'm not a, a, a singer by any means or a jazz singer by any means. But it's it's something I haven't heard before. So I thought that was a, a pretty unique uh, technique. What you, what'd you think about that, Max, when you heard it? I loved it. Um, and normally, like I said, I wouldn't uh, if it were something else in a different you know played or sung in a different way but there it works so well and pharaoh sanders is just his own being he's gonna do what he wants to do so joey d probably said hey you do what you want to do right here we'll follow you um you know you take it you do what you're feeling in the moment and i think that's what pharaoh sanders did yeah, I agree. He he's leading the the musical journey through this one, and I like the end. They kind of come down dynamically at the end, and they're kind of each freely playing over the groove from like the the ten minute mark out, and then it comes down to like Pharaoh Sanders. He comes in with a vocal melody, and he sings this this line twice, and that's how they end the song. Is like them kind of fading out, and him singing the melody, and the last thing you hear is him on the the end of that melody the second time. Yeah, the ending is very, I don't know, satisfactory. Um, I, I also love the percussion chimes right at the end. It's a very, um, I don't know, cool addition to everything else that's going on. So all in all, it's, it's a neat track, and it's definitely something worth checking out. The creator has a master plan. Yeah, so let's get into... The seventh track on the album, this track is entitled, And So It Is. Yeah, I'm not big on the chimes on this one to start. I liked it on the previous track, The Creator, but on this one, I'm not big on it. The groove starts soon after those chimes um, on the intro, and then the head is in right at the 21-second mark. And on this track, And So It Is, we get Joey D actually on the trumpet. So I really appreciate that. We've talked about his multi-instrument instrumental abilities, and here we here we get that. Um, the song is an AABA eight bar each section form, so thirty two bars all together AABA. Um, and this just proves there's so much you can do with the fundamentals of jazz music. You know, two f- song forms that we typically refer to as the fundamentals would be the twelve bar blues form. And the AABA 32-bar form, um, sometimes we refer to it as rhythm changes if it follows the chord structure of the song, I Got Rhythm. But there's a lot of songs that that use different chords, but they're organized in the same fashion in a 32-bar form with an AABA song organization. So that's one thing to, to note about this album is Joey D is pulling from the fundamentals, the foundation of jazz, and taking it to a different direction. Um, so it's not like his song forms are so out there. It's it's always from the history of the music, and um, I just appreciate that so much. 
Um, and this is the last one with Pharaoh Sanders on, on the track. He gets uh, the first solo on And So It Is. He showcases his iconic sound. Um, what do you think about all that? Yeah, yeah. I just want to get into kind of the composition and the melody before before we get into the solos really quickly. Um, I actually don't mind the chimes. They can be like kind of a little abrasive, but I think in the overall sounds that we're getting from the album, it's kind of like just fits in with the rest of what's going on with the percussion. So, I don't think it fits in here. I'm sorry. I don't. It's unnecessary. It's silly. Uh, <laughs> it works everywhere else on the album, but here I'm not. A, I'm not digging it. Yeah, I guess it is kind of weird. It doesn't seem like it fits in with like what comes after it. Like it fits in more so with the rest of the album necessarily than like the groove that comes in after what's going on. So I, I can see where you're coming from with that one. But yeah, I, it it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. We'll we'll say that much. But that's for certain. Yeah, <laughs> I really do like Joey D's uh, trumpet intro. I think it's a pretty cool. I think it's just four bars. And then yep, Troy Roberts is on bass again on this one. And this one has kind of a definite soul jazz feel to it, in my opinion. Instead of a walking bass line, we get more of a grooved bass line. So instead of like a, you know, four, you know, you get more of like a, a groove line that's, you know, got a different rhythm to it. So, yeah, let's get now let's get into to Pharaoh Sanders solo. Max, what do you think about that one? Well, again, you hear his iconic sound. He starts out kind of busier than you would expect. It's more rhythmic. Um, I really like that. He uses a lot of falling phrases down the horn. And then there's some really low notes that are being used. Um, so he's really illustrating the full range of the instrument. There's extended techniques again, where you're kind of using different fingerings over different notes to get different sounds of those notes. So he's great at that. And there's a cool use of space in this solo. And then the sax solo just kind of stops suddenly at 3.06. It didn't taper off or or go immediately into the next solo. It just sort of stops. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely I, I like Pharaoh's solo. I think one thing to note, um, the most notable thing for me is the rhythmic stuff going on. There's a lot of, you said rhythmic stuff, but there's a lot of rhythmic variation in the solo. Mm -hmm. So he's not just taking one melody and kind of, or one rhythm and kind of highlighting it. He's using lots of different rhythms and lots of variations in rhythm, which is really cool. And I, I definitely enjoy that. And he couples that rhythmic variation with the use of space. And I think he does that really well um, at the 234 to 243 mark. So yeah, definitely a little bit different. Um, sound on this one he's really playing with that use of of rhythmic variation and then yeah so he stops his solo abruptly which is kind of interesting it's it's different so i i applaud him for that i think that's Ferris sanders is different so you you kind of get to expect you know something like that from him but then you get joey d and he comes in grooving on his solo on the electric piano and he plays um a really cool idea at 315 and i let out an audible yeah whenever i was listening to it it's 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 really cool it's really groovy and then um the idea that um led into it is cool and then the lines after that idea it's, it's really cool i think it's a cool way to end the phrase and then he repeats that idea it's kind of like a little rhythmic um chordal thing he's got going on he repeats it at 348 to end another phrase and i think that's a really cool technique is to call upon something 
that you played earlier in the solo later on. So you kind of give someone an idea and then later on the solo, you reference back to your own idea a little bit. I think that's a really cool technique that, that he does there. And he has a, a really cool triplet run that he does it at 354 that I, I really like. There's always so much to talk about <laughs> in yeah. a Joey D solo, but I do uh, appreciate your point you can reference something you did earlier in your solo later on in your solo, and it brings a more cohesiveness to your improvisations. Um, and I, yeah, that's a great point to make. And then later on, we also get uh, more Joey D on trumpet, um, playing the melody with Pharaoh later on at 4.05, and we kind of get a call and response, trumpet versus sax at 4.35, and then the saxophone takes it um, does some busier playing there's more chromaticism some low notes and then the organ back in and there's some more interplay with the saxophone yeah and one thing i think kind of yeah we get that back and forth with the trumpet and the sax after the melody and it really does feel like pharaoh takes the reins on that one and kind of you know gets into the solo which is cool because joey seems more than happy to to let pharaoh shine and he's just letting the musicians shine and do their thing and kind of let the music go where it takes them and like we talked about earlier so i thought i thought that was cool um and and this part of pharaoh's solo he uses more lines and less space on this one so it's a little bit different from the solo we took earlier with the space and the rhythm and whatnot so yeah he's treating both features very differently um just like we talked about how you treat instruments differently if you're playing multiple instruments on a on a tune or on a gig He's doing the same thing with two different solo sections. Um, and that's really important. That's very musical. And it just adds another layer to the song you're on. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it fits because, you know, it's not just a normal solo that they're going in from like this call and response back and forth into him. So he, he treats it differently than if he's just developing a full solo from the top of, of, of the, the form, you know? So that's really cool. Joey D starts to kind of chime back in, uh, at six Oh eight with some like responses to what Pharaoh is playing. And I think that's really cool. And then the groove kind of devolves into like this spacey groove at the end with like some different, way different sounds. And the percussion's really cool here. You get some bells and then some, uh, some marimba. So Max, did you hate the marimba as much as you hated the, the beginning? No, I actually appreciated the marimba. <laughs> um, it's just the beginning. I just really didn't like those first few seconds of the chimes. And here, I wasn't sure if it was marimba or, or not, but it definitely sounds like it. Um, it's some kind I, of malleted instrument. I think marimbas, it, I think it is. I'm not a percussionist, so but it does sound like that. And it's definitely a spacey ending. You know, the title of the whole album in the key of the universe, they're really out in the stars with this ending. Um so just illustrating the the whole uh, goal of the album here, I think they do that really well. Yeah. So let's let's move along onto the the eighth track on the album. This track is entitled "Soul Pers Perspective," and I like the melody how they play the melody uh, with the two horns on this one. Um, and so this one's in three four. And it's a different time signature once again, but it's still really, really soulful and it's, it fits the spiritual feeling of the, of the album. Yes, it's 3-4 time. And then I also think if we're talking about In the Key of the Universe, the title of the album, 
you know, the universe has a lot of different time signatures. If you think about all the mm. music of the world, <laughs> you know, um, there's a whole lot of different time signatures in various cultures that are expressed in, in different cultural music. And so I think that might be also why they're using different time signatures um, other than just 4-4 here. Yeah, I have kind of a, a thought. Yeah, I, I, and it feels like they're maybe playing into that spiritual feeling and how in life not everything moves at the same pace, right? So not everything is just, you know, life's not always going to be at the same pace, that 4-4 feel to say. So I feel like maybe that's the decision to do that is like, Life comes at you at different paces. There's, you know, it's going to feel different at times. So throughout this album, they're doing that with the time signatures. It's not always the same pace or meter, you know, which is, I just kind of, I thought of that. And that, when you said that, that kind of is what hit me. So I think that's a really, really good point there, Max. Yeah, I, I like what you said. You know, life is throwing all sorts of stuff at you and you can't walk at the same pace through all of it. But you can um, groove through all of it. And that's what they show you, us. That's right. You can't, it's, it's not always what you do. It's how you do it. So they're, they're always grooving despite, you know, going throughout all different time signatures. Um, I do think on this one, there's a little too much from the symbol at the top with the intro, you know, the symbols doing those eighth notes. Uh, it's a little too much for me. Uh, back off, please. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to point out that uh, Max has a uh, master's in music and he spelled symbol with uh, an S instead of a C in our outline. So Max, get I it. I did. Oh, he's changing it as we speak. <laughs> I was like, wait, that, my, that looks weird. Yeah, I, my mistake. Just I was, blame autocorrect. I, it has to be autocorrect. I think so. Um, <laughs> honestly, no, I think that is what happened. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Max. No, you're right. And also, who am I to tell Billy Hart, hey, you're doing a little too much there. <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy. The symbol there. Um, I definitely know it does. It is a little distracting, though. I, I see what you're saying there. It's kind of that little, those eighth notes are very much in the like in the front of, of what's going on there. So I, I definitely see the point that you're making there. But either way, it got my attention. So that's what you want as a musician as an artist whatever you do you know there's a purpose to it so there's definitely a purpose to what he's doing i'm just not digging it right there um and then the whole song is kind of a 32 bar form you played um the head is played twice and then troy roberts um is back on saxophone on this one and he has the first solo on tenor sax right at the minute 30 mark and I love how he starts his solo. He, he does a rip up the horn to start. So that's very energetic. Um, you know, it's like, here I am. I'm on saxophone. I've got it. And he has some great time in his solo. Nice full range on the horn. He connects one idea to the next one really well. Different rhythms he's playing around with. And I love the trills that he plays at 204 to 208. Um, and his idea at 224 to 228 is really well developed and succinct. And it's kind of um, just, he pulls it off really well. There's some faster lines at 245. And then he comes back down on the horn to taper off. And I'm getting just in general, kind of what you would get if you combined Sonny Rollins with Josh Redman with a little Michael Brecker in this solo. Yeah. I, I agree with that, and I think the one thing that I got from this solo is 
there are a lot of different ideas and it feels like Troy's giving us a lot. And so I think you heard all of those different influences and it's because he's giving us a lot of different stuff and a lot of different ideas, which is cool to hear kind of the range of, of things from him and the influences and the techniques and the ideas. So I, I like that a lot. Um, Joey D starts his solo out cooking and he keeps it that way. It's really, it feels like that Jimmy Smith influence, the really burning, chopping it up kind of thing. Um, but he does mix the chops with some more soulful ideas once he gets into kind of like the meat of the solo. And then at minute marker 358, he does some really cool hits um, with his right hand. And I don't, I'm not sure if Billy Hart was expecting it because when he hears it, he just kind of starts to play eighth notes under it. He wasn't really playing the hits with him. He, it seems like he's like, oh man. And so he just plays eighth notes under it, which is cool. Um, you know, yeah, how he he's like. He's like, I got to do something. He's so. like, I don't know what's going on, but I got, <laughs> I got to do something. So he just plays eighth notes under it, which is fun. And then um, Joey D plays these kind of like ascending and descending trills at 403, which are, are really cool too. Yeah, those cluster trills at 403 to 410 are really, really hip. And then at 340 also has a really nice diminished lick idea coming down the organ I really like. So there's just a lot always in a in a Joey D solo, um, but those cluster trills are really really cool. Yeah, yeah, he does so many cool things. He loves the diminished licks and kind of he'll use tritone substitution a lot as well. So kind of those out there techniques, but he does it all. So it's like you get you get a lot from Joey on on every single solo, like we said. Right, and then after the solo, the horns come back in. There's some nice call and response again, some interplay between the sax and the organ to take it to to the end of the song as it fades out, and there's a really cool rhythmic idea that Troy Roberts does at the very end I, I really enjoy. Yeah, and I, I do feel like at this point, every single song has ended in that call and response way. It doesn't really bother me, but it, it's important to note that that's kind of what we've gotten from every single tune at, at this point. Yeah, maybe it's a little predictable, um, but I enjoy it so much I don't care. Yeah, predictability is not always a bad thing when something's swinging or grooving, you know. So, yeah, let's uh, let's move along to the the ninth track on the album. Uh, this track is entitled "A Path Through the Noise," and it's a ballad. I love that there's an original ballad on this album. I dig the slower tempo. There's some nice percussive chimes that here are used really well to color everything that's going on. It's an AABA form, A bar A sections, and then the bridge is only a six bar bridge. So there's only six measures in the bridge, not a full eight. So I, I kind of dig that. It work it works really well. And here we get a full trumpet solo from Joey D, um, equipped with kind of nice longer notes. And there's not much vibrato in his playing. So he's more straight tone, a little more Miles, a little more Freddie Hubbard. And there's some faster lines at 310 I really like. So it's, it's really neat to, to hear for um, the specific tone and approach that Joey D takes on the trumpet. Yeah, it's definitely good to hear his style on the trumpet. And he's really good at it. And I think it's cool that he highlights his trumpet playing on on this ballad it's it's pretty cool uh different feel on the album i really love the the slower tempo on this ballad i feel like it gives it an extra tinge of emotion it feels like it's really kind of you know pulling at you a little bit 
And I want to get into something interesting that happens on this one. So while Joey D is soloing on the trumpet, if this were truly a live recording in like the sense of, you know, everything's done live, nothing's added later, then you'd be led to believe that Joey is playing the trumpet with his right hand, comping with his left hand, and then playing the bass on the pedals with his left foot. The only problem that I have with this is that the trumpet solo goes into an organ solo and they overlap with all four things going on at once. So you'd have the foot on the bass pedals, the left hand comping, but then the right hand can only do either the trumpet or the organ. It can't do both at the same time. So I, I think, um, I want to ask you what's going on here, and I want to kind of give you a list of, of possibilities um, and see what your 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 thoughts are. Um, my first and most likely is that something is overdubbed, and I think maybe probably the trumpet. Um, so it kind of led me to kind of question some of the assertions about stuff like the stuff from earlier, but after going and watching like the live recordings of him playing the bass lines with his feet i i believe all that i think some of the trumpet on this album might be overdubbed or added later so um yeah i think the other possibility which is probably not as likely is that someone else is playing the keyboard part on the album um which would you think he's playing with his left hand but i don't think this makes much sense because there's not another really keyboard player and there's no one credited on the album so max what do you what do you think is going on here because it did i'd listen to it a, a, a good amount of times just to make sure that i wasn't like saying something that's not true but there definitely are all four of those things going on at the same time sure you're right there's a lot going on i in my um estimation What's going on is that the trumpet solo was overdubbed on top. And so when they recorded it live, you know, um, the section where the trumpet is supposed to be playing, they just played everything else um, as if there was a trumpet playing in their minds. But Joey D was actually not playing on trumpet. And so they, they went through the form and everything like normal. And then Joey D added the trumpet after the fact so because there's so many um different instruments played by the same people i think overdubbing would have to occur on this album somewhere even though we know these these cats are are top notch and they they can do so much with each limb of their body i think right there they must have overdubbed a little bit yeah, and it, it kind of had led me to question the full essence of the live recording, right? Because in jazz, you feel like a live recording. You want it one take live, and that's it. But I can understand why Joey would do this, and I feel like it would make sense for him to do this with the trumpet. It's not his main instrument, and so it would make sense for him to play the, the tune and then want to be able to overdub the trumpet solo later so he can focus on that solo solely. I've seen him play the trumpet while playing the organ at the same time, but I think it makes sense for him. He's putting this product out and putting his trumpet playing out for him to say, no, I want to focus on the trumpet on this one. Like let's play. And then I'll overdub that, that trumpet solo after so I can really get a, a product that I'm happy with. Yes. I, I do think that's what's going on. I could be wrong. You know, maybe uh well i i don't know i think we're right because right at that moment 
the transition from the trumpet into the organ solo is overlapping. Oh, he must have overdubbed. Yeah, if you're yeah, listen, go listeners out there, go and listen to this and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think the the most likely thing is. That's our conclusion. Let us know what you're hearing and what you think about that cuz I'd be interested to to know what other people are are thinking's going on there. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something to listen for, you know, again, that doesn't take away from it being a live album. It's still a live recorded album, but you know, there are some moments in here where it's likely there's some over overdubbing. Um, and then once we get into that organ solo on the bridge, it reminds me a lot of Jimmy Smith. There's a lot of double time going on. And then the sax is back in for the last a section of the form. There's a nice final chord. And here, Roberts does some kind of breathier vibrato at the very end. And it reminds me a lot of Ben Webster, one of Mm -hmm. my personal favorites, Kansas City, Missouri native, um, Benjamin Francis Webster, known for his breathy vibrato tone on ballads and also his kind of gritty um, approach on faster tunes like Cottontail. It seems like there's a, a definite... Uh, reverence right there towards swing era players somebody tate influence maybe um, just right at the very tail end of what troy roberts is playing at the end of that track yeah and one thing i i definitely appreciate about this is it is an original ballad and i really do like the the tempo of it and he kind of troy roberts digs into that more soulful swinging feel like you said like ben webster so yeah i I definitely i appreciate that let's get moving along to the the final track on the album uh which is entitled easier to be yeah easier to be as a cool percussive and kind of keys intro um the groove kicks in right at the seven second mark um so there's only an eight bar intro with some trumpet fills um from joey d and the song is an ABA form, and each section is 16 bars. So you get a 16-bar A section, 16-bar B section, and, and back to the A section. And I think the melody is very neat. There's some kind of tough licks in there towards the end of the bridge that are really tough to execute. And there's something about the melody and the groove that kind of screams elevator music to me. Um and I know that's used in a negative connotation, <laughs> but I'm just saying the overall effect, you know, this would be something cool to listen to in an elevator or something. I, I don't mean that negatively, but what do you think? I have a funny story to tell you about that term elevator music. So um, I'll, I do Uber, uh, like I'll, I do Uber here in Wilmington and I had someone in my car and I was listening to West Montgomery and this dude in my car gets in and he we're driving down the road and he goes what is this elevator music that we're listening to and he meant it in that way like uh, oh man and it was so hard for me because i I, i'm not gonna be mean to the guy but i was like this guy this guy doesn't know what's up so i literally i don't think i said anything i just let i might have turned it (laughs) up honestly (laughs) that's what you yes turn up west montgomery please that's not elevator i was like i'm not changing it i didn't say that i was just like we're gonna listen to this because i'm offended now um but yeah that's a (laughs) that's like the opposite when people who are jazz people are just like what's this elevator music like (laughs) say that about west montgomery so you should try and play this track easier to be 
in the car and see if you get the same reaction. Yeah, we'll see if someone calls it elevator music. That guy definitely would. I just mean it's it's a mellower, easy listening. Effect. I get what yeah, you, yeah, easy listening. But that um, the elevator music thing. If you tell uh, like someone that their music sounds like elevator music, it could be taken the wrong way. So I see what you're saying there with the the negative connotation. Yeah, usually it it means you know your music isn't worth my attention, but it's nice just being there in the background. You know, um, while I'm on the go to something important. You know, your music is nice, but I don't care about it. That's like how a lot of people <laughs> feel about jazz, though. Like non, you know, outside well, that's, of jazz. Yeah, that's that's because they don't um, they don't quite get it, or they're they haven't been effectively introduced to the music, or they don't know what to listen for. Um, they haven't really explored all the great jazz that is out there, and it's really um, American music. You know, and it's the precursor to everything else. So it, it's just a matter of, of really digging in and finding this music and, and engaging with it more effectively that, you know, would, would change a person's perspective on it rather than just simply calling something <laughs> that's really great jazz elevator music. Yeah, I think it definitely takes someone being curious about it, but also having the right stuff to listen to. It'd be pretty hard if someone's just going to send you like Ornette Coleman right off the bat or like send you like, like we say like Hank Mobley is like a great place to get into it. So I think it just kind of takes like the someone kind of guiding you in the right direction, starting to learn the, the language and appreciate it. So, but let's get back into, to the track a little bit um, easier to be. I feel like this melody is very soulful and cool, like as in like a, a cool jazz kind of uh, way. And that kind of speaks to that, that elevator music. I feel like cool jazz can kind of get that, that association with with elevator music sometimes so that's kind of the feeling that i'm that i'm getting there is that that cool jazz um, melody and i really like the the rhythmic hits um that are on the melody and they then they definitely build the the energy into to troy's solo when when it starts yeah and the overall effect that the song is is giving is also present in the way troy roberts is playing as an overall mellower approach and so that's what I was saying with that quote-unquote elevator music feel. It's just mellower, um, more easy listening. I didn't mean that negatively, but you know, just as a way to 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 showcase the feeling of the song. Troy Roberts is also doing that in his playing, and he's taking a lot of time and developing ideas. Some really cool use of space. So there's some really nice tones on the low end of the horn. He brings out at two forty-three. He kind of plays a common cliche lick we all do. And then right after that, he sort of ends and tapers off his solo. And then the organ solo starts at 253. Yeah, I, I really like um, how well Troy develops this solo. I think he re- does a really good job with that. And I just wanted to point out, uh, he quotes uh, Mona Lisa at the two-minute mark, which is a pretty common quote that we get in jazz. Yeah, I missed that. You go, know, there's so many. Go back <laughs> so and listen to it. He he, def, it definitely you can hear that. It's different. It's that like really playful um flick there. So yeah, go back in two minute mark. Everyone everyone listening, check out check that out. Yeah, but really, cool, really cool stuff. I want to get into Joey's solo a little bit. I love the first lick that he plays on his solo. And one thing to note on this solo is he's got a little bit more vibrato going on the Hammond. Um, 
but not as not a lot of chorus like similar to the sound but a little bit more vibrato which is cool um he does some cool rhythmic like one note stuff like when he's playing one note and just doing a like a rhythmic thing going on at, at 315 and then he does it into some some runs uh on some different intervals which is is pretty cool and i really like the way he ends um the solo and it has like this chromatic half step movement down to end the solo, which I really like. Yeah. Also at three thirty, he kind of plays some faster lines moving downward, almost like pop goes the weasel, but moving down with it. Um, I don't know. Reminded me of, of kind of a almost pop goes the weasel quote. And then I also love the lick at three forty three to three fifty. It's faster piano-like movement. Kind of reminds me of something Errol Garner would play on the piano. Mm, I definitely see what you're saying there, that kind of sweeping sweeping movement. Yep. And then the bridge melody comes back in at 404. Um, those hits during the first eight bars of the bridge melody are so hip, and it's, it's just really swinging. I let out a, oh, yeah, moment when I heard that the first time I heard it. Um, they love Sorry. to come back in with the bridge. That's like that's right. That's I like I didn't notice that it happened that much until now that we're do, we're like you know talking about it. It seems like they do that really often. It's come back in with the bridge after solos, which is cool. Right. Um, you typically do that on a ballad most mm, of the time. Yeah. But you can do that, you know, with any song form, especially if it's an original tune. Um, any so. form and any time signature. We've come to learn. That's right. And then they ride out um, with the organ and trumpet um, playing some added licks. And so here may have been another moment that they overdubbed the trumpet. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the trumpet's overdubbed on this one or not. Um, I don't know. I wish we could ask. I guess we could ask someone else on the, you know, let's hit up Troy Roberts and, and ask right. him. But one thing that's interesting about this one is, yeah, they're doing that kind of playful licks at the end, but they fade this tune out. And I they haven't really faded a tune out yet. And I think that this is like the first fade out and apparently the last since it's the last track on the album. So I thought <laughs> it was just an interesting time to be like, let's fade out a track. But I guess, you know, might as well do it on the last track. Yeah, they do the fade out here. And here, you know, it, it is possible for him to have, I think, played both organ and trumpet at the same time. He you does that a lot. He, yeah, he can physically do that. So maybe here, that, that's what he did. I think that might be what's... I think that trumpet is is played live on this one, especially with the, yeah. the back and forth. Um, yeah, I think you're right. So cool. Well, that wraps it up for kind of our breakdown of all the, the tunes on the album. And so let's get into our top threes and our not-so-hot tracks. I'm going to get into mine first, and then I'll kick it over to you, Max. So my first song on my top three is the tune Vibra Vibrations in Blue, the second track on the album. I really like the groove on this one. I like the 5-4 feel. I like the way that they do the groove over the 5-4 feel, and I love the solos. And I just think they're they're really killing on, on this track, so I, I really enjoyed that one. My second favorite tune, my second on my top three is... It swung wide open, which is a faster, um, kind of more swing tune. The one that I said reminded me of James Carter organ trio in a way. I really like that one. They're swinging really hard. It's moving. It's energetic. And they're they're just killing on it. And so I, I really enjoyed that. I really like the arranging and the composition of that track as well. 
And then my third song on my top three is Vibrations in Blue. And that no, one... No, 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 that... No, that one's my top. Oh, that, that one's my number I was like, three. I didn't think that's three. my number three. Okay, I'm yeah, reading from... Gotta go I'm down like, a little bit. Oh, 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 here we go. Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's my third favorite. I was like, why did I put that? I was like, okay, thank you, Max. My third favorite, I'm going with The Creator Has a Master Plan, which is the Pharaoh Sanders original. I think it was really important to include that because Pharaoh Sanders, I think, plays a big part in this album, and you get so much from his style. I think the... The composition's unique. It's such a journey. So I think it, it definitely it has a place in my top three. And Ferris Sanders is a, a big reason why. Thanks, Max, for that. I was like, vibrations and blue. I was like, I don't remember playing that in my top three. Thanks. Um, so but my not so hot is the the ballad on the the album, A Path Through the Noise. It just doesn't speak to me. I don't think it's bad, but it doesn't speak to me in the same way that the rest of of the album does so it gets my my uh and i had that question about the overdubbing so that kind of it kind of just set me off in a, in a way so that it made my not so hot for for this album yeah i i can get that um my list is uh, is similar but a little different my number one is it swung wide open i just love the way they arranged the head it's super swinging i absolutely adore what um troy roberts is playing on that you get that kind of really straight ahead, full force swing approach. And um, I love the arrangement and the playing on it. My number two is In the Key of the Universe, the title track. I love the minor blues. I love the head. It's very Pharaoh Sanders and then some. So there's just a lot going on with that. There's also the gong <laughs> bookend from the beginning and, and the very end I like. So just so much to, to really enjoy from that track. Number three, Vibrations in Blue, which was your number one. So we both yeah. really appreciate that one. A lot going on. And then two honorable mentions I want to make is Soul Perspective and The Creator Has a Master Plan. The reason why The Creator is not on my top three is because when this album came out, that is the track that the Real Jazz channel on Sirius XM Radio played all the time <laughs> so i heard that track a lot of times you know at this point i get it it's cool i love everything that's going on i appreciate it but i'm just kind of a little bit over it um and i hate to say it but that's how i feel about the that. song just got too mainstream for max he could just couldn't <laughs> deal with it anymore <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it is an honorable mention. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, I adore what's going on in that track. And then my Not So Hot is a tune, and so it is. I just didn't get much from it. I mean, it's 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 a it's a cool original tune, um, but uh, there's just some things like the starting chimes. It's the chimes. Don't lie, Max. It's, <laughs> it's the chimes. That's why it's you're not. He's just like... The first three seconds have ruined it all. Yeah, I didn't like that. And then the spacey ending, you know, it matches with the overall um, theme of the album and the key of the universe. You know, we're talking about space and humanity and the expansiveness of the human experience and w the world that's going on around us. But it was just a little too cliche for me. Um, 
I don't know. The beginning and the ending of that track didn't do it for me. It's too much. So that was my not so hot. And so it is. Yeah, I I can see how that doesn't. That track maybe doesn't add as much to the album as some other tracks. I like how our not so th- or our, our top three and our not so hots are similar but different on this one. So I I, I do appreciate that. Um, let's get into our our overall album thoughts and our ratings. Uh, I'll let you go first on this one, Max. Yes, and the key of the universe is definitely a hard-hitting spiritual journey that explores everything from the blues to the expansiveness of the universe and the, the human condition. There is an array of sounds used from electric piano to chimes to gongs. There's other spacey sounds. It's a mix of the typical hard-swinging approach you'd expect from Joey D, but there's also an added sense of spiritual exploration mainly because of the inclusion of the great Pharaoh Sanders on saxophone and vocals. Troy Roberts also shines on this album. We get to hear the, the greatness of, of Roberts's sound and approach and his improvisations while hearing him on different horns, um, including soprano and alto sax, in addition to his usual tenor. And he also does bass, which is just a neat aspect to this record. The musicality of the whole group is something to be admired and explored with each song on the record. There are some really great moments sprinkled throughout the album. Billy Hart on drums is solid throughout. We didn't mention him much, but that's because he's so great at what he does. There's nothing wrong to say or anything negative to say. It's just all profound and and excellent. And there's a few of the kind of introductory techniques of some of the tracks that are a little overdone for me. And once in a while, I get a sense that they're overdoing it a bit on that spacey um, sound. And when they go out a little bit on certain tracks, it's just a little overdone, in my opinion. But all in all, it's a very successful album. There's lots of meaning and a ton of superb playing. And it is a great example of the loss that occurred with the death of Joey DeFrancesco of what we're missing and what we're going to miss in the future of jazz. Yeah. What's your, uh, your, I love all those points. And I think that that definitely, it does show us how much we're going to miss Joey D. What's your overall score for this one, Max? My overall score was an 8.8 out of 10. I didn't feel like I could give it a nine or above just because of this. Some of the personal, um, I don't know things that I, disliked about some of the introductions and some of the things and i also feel like you don't have to play in seven or three or five to you know make an interesting album i get why he did it i appreciate the different time signatures and and they still swing throughout all those different times and it's always killing but um i don't know if you do that too much it kind of gets annoying to me so because of that, I couldn't give it a nine. So I gave it an 8.8, but it's superb playing all throughout. Yeah, I definitely agree with a, a lot of the points you're making there. Um, I think this is an, an instant classic from one of the greatest ever to take a seat at the hallowed thrones of the B3 Hammond organ. Joey D. Francesco and, and company take you on this spiritual grooving journey into their souls on this creation, it feels like. Um, the theme the album which is this spiritual journey is evident throughout with the use of the different sounds and the percussion instruments and and i i think there is a great use of these different um time signatures and feels on this one but meanwhile they keep it grooving throughout 
And I can see where Max is saying, you know, you don't need all that. But I, I appreciate their their wanting to do that. And I appreciate that they keep it grooving throughout the, the entire time. So it fits in with the album. Joey D. Francesco puts on a clinic on how to use every single part of the organ and his footwork on the pedals is next level while being able to left hand comp and solo over top is it's just elite skill. Like it's hard to hear. It's hard to find other people who are that good at, at, at doing that. So props to him on that. And I think the horn section is killer on this one. And I, I, like I said before, I just didn't know how much I liked Troy Roberts playing until now. And I think if you like James Carter, Troy Roberts, isn't like, the most similar to him but if you like james carter's playing and the james carter organ trio i think you should go check troy out because i think you're gonna like troy as well i think he'll be right up your alley so yeah the band is so tight and they seem to be having so much fun during the making of this album there's an energy that's undeniable and it's ever present even years later as we listen to it you know we can still feel the energy and the spirituality that they were they were feeling when they created the album and i think overall this is definitely a legacy piece from Joey D. Francesco. I just want to say he'll be truly missed by so many. And I just want to thank him for his impact on jazz and on, on all organ players. There's not an organ player today that Joey D. Francesco hasn't impacted in so some way. And so for my overall score, I think this is getting up into that excellent range, just right on the, the cusp of it, but not quite reaching like the top, top tier. Um, so I'm, I'm with Max. I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. I'm right at that like excellent range. And it's really great. And Joey D's playing as an organ player. It's just so good. It's hard not to reward him for the, the playing and the the different composition and really sticking to the theme really well. So I, I give it a nine out of 10, you know, it's not one of the greatest of all time, but it's a really, really great album and it's well done and, and I appreciate it. So our combined score on this one is going to come in at an 8.9 out of 10, which I think is a really, really fair score for this one. Um, given, given everything that's going on. So I want to talk about our album for next week, which I'm really excited because we wanted to go in a little bit different direction with our classic album. So Max, what are we getting into next week? We're getting into one of the most prominent jazz players to ever exist, the Louis Armstrong. Um, TV personalities called him Satchmo. Musicians called him Pops. Um, those who didn't know any better called him Louis Armstrong, but he really preferred Louis Armstrong. And so we're doing um, his record Satchmo at Pasadena by Louis Armstrong and the All-Stars. And so it's a great um, later recording. I think it's early 50s, but it's in the tradition of, of traditional jazz. We're going to get some clarinet. We're going to get some New Orleans style some early Chicago style that is premiered on that record. Um, I think it's a live recording and it is. Yep. Yeah. And, and there's some really key musicians in the history of this music on that record. And it'll be a neat representation of everything. That's Louis Armstrong. So we're going to get into, you know, pre bop um, before swing era or the development of swing era and and really get into just trad jazz so i'm kind of excited yeah it's definitely we want to we want to get into the roots and louis armstrong is one of the fathers of jazz so it's really important that we do this and we want to do it sooner rather than later i think it's important to note that one of the reasons we don't have full albums from like the very beginning the 30s late 20s 30s is because that um records were really just singles back then so 
we wanted to do a full album of of lewis's stuff but it you can't find the really early stuff in a full album but this is gonna encapsulate all of that and the players on it are some of those early players and it's really gonna we're gonna get that feeling of that early jazz kind of that new orleans influence before we get into bop and necessarily the really big band swing era so i'm really excited to, ch- to check this one out that's right there may be a time when when we can pick maybe three four or five different singles that were released you I was know singing from, that same thing from the late teens through the 30s that, that we could pull from from a major artist and and do it that way but for right now we're going to do you know an actual full-length album um from lewis armstrong yeah i'm super excited to get into this i've never listened to this recording before i've listened to early lewis armstrong stuff but not this one in particular so yeah so i just want to say thank you all for joining us this album this joy d francesco album is an episode we definitely wanted to do it was going to come at some point but with his passing we felt it was really important to honor him in this way and i really really enjoyed listening to this one and i definitely encourage people to go check it out um, I do want to say that if you have any questions, any suggestions, anything, if you have anything you want to tell us, feel free to send us an email, the jazz jam podcast at gmail.com. Send it there. Um, yeah. And thanks. We want to thank you just for listening. It's been an awesome journey. We're having so much fun listening to these albums. It's just really allowing us to dive deep into them. And that's something we love doing and hopefully you're doing. And I know one listener said that the way that they're doing it is they'll listen to the song stop and then go listen to our section on the podcast about that song and i think that's a really cool so that's like a kind of way you can go about listening to our podcast which i think is super awesome so yeah Max, yeah we're go we're ahead kind of yeah i'm just gonna say we're kind of a companion to the recording we're talking about you don't have to listen to us in that way um you could certainly skim a section or whatever there's lots of ways to treat this but I really appreciate how that listener and hopefully many others are are using this. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you so much. We're really enjoying doing this. We enjoy the support. And so we're really looking forward to next week's episode with Louis Armstrong. And we'll see you then. For Max Levy, I am Dwayne Gunnels. And this has been an episode of the Jazz Jam Podcast. (laughs) 